church can get together and to wrestle with um, the scriptures. And as they're calling us uh, to live and uh, in a way that we honor and glorify God, we can begin these conversations. I like to think about Sunday mornings as a conversation. We can begin these conversations together where we can ask questions about scripture. And so um, one thing I don't, I don't, I guess I don't say it enough, but I, I, I love to engage around questions uh, uh, about the scriptures. I think, I think our God is a God who delights when we engage at that level, like right? when we engage at a level that we have questions and that we dig deeper and we seek more understanding and clarity about the scriptures. I think our God delights in that. And so if our God delights in that, I think I, I need to delight in that as well. And uh, so I do delight in engaging uh, uh, topics of scripture and theology and those kinds of things. So if ever we're like, um, just kind of talking on Sunday morning, or I'm teaching on Sunday morning, and you hear something, or we sing something, and you're like, hey, I, like, I, don't, I don't quite get that. Let's talk about it, right? Let's, let's, uh, let, let's get together. Let's talk about it. Feel free to ask those questions. Hey, well, in the seats in front of you, there are um, cards, connection cards. We just love to know that you're here. If this is your first time uh, here with us, uh, we'd love to know that you're here. Uh, and so whatever information you feel comfortable filling out. And also, on the back of those cards, Tri-Cities Church, you know the, the, the way we do things. If there's anything going on uh, in your life that you want us to be joining you in prayer about, uh, feel free to, to fill out one of those cards. Our, um, our team on Monday mornings, although not, 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 not tomorrow because it's a holiday, on Wednesday morning this week, we love to get together and pray with you about things that are going on in your lives. And so uh, we get together and we really do uh, circle up and we really do join and have a, a time of prayer uh, for our church, uh, for you, for specific requests. We love to know what you are uh, concerned about, but we also want to know how God is working in your life. And so it doesn't even have to be a prayer request. It could just be, hey, God's done this amazing thing, and I want you to celebrate that with me. We love to do that. Um, also, this morning we are <clears throat> we are wrapping up. <clears throat> oh my, my word! We are wrapping up. <clears throat> we are wrapping up our series this morning. That usually doesn't happen. Maybe I've been yelling too much this week. We are wrapping up our series. We've been calling it "Living in the Sweet Spot." It is a series on relationships. And as I was thinking about this series. And I did this probably somewhat with intention, but maybe not so much thought went into it. Um, but one of the things I like to do about relationship series is um, I, I didn't want to jump straight to, well, you should do this because the Bible says do this, right? You should love because the Bible says love, or you should forgive because the Bible says forgive, or you should be patient because the Bible says that that's like a characteristic that's fitting of Christ. Oftentimes, I think in Christian environments and Christian settings, we jump towards the what we should do without getting first towards the why we should do it, which is how we should think, like how the gospel is transforming the way we think. And then how we're thinking informs what we do. And so in this series, the way at least it's fleshed itself out for us on Sunday mornings in these four weeks is that we've investigated these big concepts of how we should think as followers of Christ. Now, I am trusting you, like I'm placing this for the most part in, in your hands, in, in our hands. I'm trusting you to really wrestle with these concepts that are taught in the scriptures to say, okay, this is how I should think, right? This is how the Bible is teaching me um, what, this is what the Bible is teaching me is true. Now, I've, I'm thinking that way. Now, how does this play itself out in my relationships, right? How does this play itself out in my day-to-day -day living, in my relationship with my spouse or with my kids or with my neighbor or with my coworker? We, we take these concepts that are in scripture and then we, we 
we, um, we guide it by the scriptures, uh, figure out how they play out in our modern-day, everyday situations. Because the Bible isn't going to specifically address that nosy neighbor that's, like, annoying you or that coworker that always has something smart to say or um, the different challenges that we deal with in our relationships. Um, but it does tell us how we should think, and our actions come out of our thinking. So this morning is no different, although let me just say at the beginning, we are going to, because the single greatest commandment in the Bible is to love. Um, Jesus teaches us that, to love God and then to love others. So that's where we're headed. We didn't start this series that way, but that's where we're headed. And what we're going to see this morning and is that how we think ultimately frees us up to be more loving people. So I could have started with, hey, you need to love your neighbor But if you're not thinking right about God and about scriptures, you're not freed up to be able to do that. So we're going to jump into how we should think this morning again, and then hopefully we'll get to uh, how that frees us up to love like Jesus. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the message this morning. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, God, for giving us this opportunity uh, to gather in this space and to to read your word, which is good um, and alive and um, precious to us. God, we thank you that as we read your word, we find in it uh, hope uh, for today. Um, We find in it the joy that we have in the Lord, um, which is the fact that we are secure in Christ Jesus, and that no enemy, no harm, no danger can snatch us out of your hand. God, we find in it the story of a God who's making all things new, And the story of a people who are caught up in that restoration and that renewal. And that's us. And so, God, we're thankful that we're caught up in that and that we get uh, to have a different hope as we look forward to being fully restored and renewed in Christ Jesus. Till that day, God, I pray that you help us to live faithfully. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the big question we began with in this series is what's God's design for our relationships? That's really what we've been questioning. Uh, what's God's, or we've been looking at at least, God's design for human relationships. And the question is what's God's will for my relationships? What's God's will for my relationships? And I think the reason why this is important is because in doing so, in asking this question, we are turning our attention to the Lord, right? We're turning our attention to God, and we're seeking the Lord's guidance in our relationships, in our day-to-day life. And so uh, it's important because, um, because here's something that's easy for us to do, and we do it without even recognizing it, is that we often get caught up in the current of culture, right? There's this current of culture, like things are always changing, things are always shifting, they're always uh, kind of in flux, if you will, and it's been driven by all different kinds of forces, whether it's social pressures and desires, whether it's media, whether it's um, um, just this newfound um, uh, understanding or freedom, whether it's other religions, right? C- uh, culture has a sense of current to it, right? It's as a sense of movement to it. It's, it, 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 it's kind of drifting almost as though nobody's actually controlling the drift of culture. And if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in the drift of culture, and it, it'll be our teacher, right? Culture becomes our teacher. It becomes our master, if you will. It teaches us how we should live, how we should respond, and the ways we should carry out our lives, and especially even how we should make decisions in our relationships. If we're not careful, we get caught up in that current of, 
of culture. Now, the scriptures, though, it gives us something to hold on to. This week, all week long, I was thinking about, this has been a long time ago, but I went on this, um, I took this canoeing class a long time ago, uh, it, and it was actually, the, the idea was like, we would canoe all week long. We would, we would take these, and we would do all these like maneuvers in the canoes, and we would turn these different directions, and all this kind of stuff, and so we had these obstacle courses, and it, I mean, it, it was actually a good time, and, and um, <laughs> I just thought of a funny story from that, but I won't share it with you because it'll really get me sidetracked. Sorry, man, that squirrel brain is like, it's on this morning. Um, but I took this canoeing class, and then ultimately, we were going to go whitewater rafting in these canoes. Now, I don't know if you've ever been whitewater rafting. You know, whitewater uh, rafting rafts are wide, and they don't tip over easy. And, you know, it's just like, it's like, like riding down the water in a pillow. But we, we decided to do this thing in a canoe. Uh, and so here we are, and we're going down the, the whitewater rafting, uh, the rapids, and we're in this canoe. And we're, we're actually kind of, we had a tour guide that was with us, a guy that was kind of guiding us. And we make these stops along the way. And, and there was this one stop. He says, hey, right up here, we're going to make this stop. So everybody kind of pull over to the side. And we're going we're gonna to make this stop. And then I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach you something about this next rapid we're getting ready to go through and how to navigate it because it's, it's, it's the most difficult one we're going to see today. And so we start like rowing over to the side. And, and me and another guy, we're in this canoe together. And we're like, all right, we, we're getting there, we're getting there. And then the water starts getting a little bit faster. And, um, and, 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 and we find ourselves not close enough to the side to be able to, to, to pull over. And we're about to go through this rapid without instructions on how to do it. And so we both make a dumb decision. Don't do this if you're in a canoe. We both make a dumb decision. We're close enough to the side. We feel like we could touch it. We both reach over at the same time. <laughs> and the canoe flips. And, and, and here we go, just caught up in the, in the current. And I, and I heard the instructions to myself, like, put your, you know, lay back, put your feet up. Uh, you know, so you don't bump your head, right, and just ride it out. And, and there we were just riding this, this rapid out until we got to the other side, and, and it was a little bit easier. But that's really how life goes sometimes, right? There's sometimes that we get caught up in the current of culture where we, before we know it, we're, we're just living our lives. We're just floating along. We're finding and taking our cues from culture instead of taking our cues from God. Now, the Bible teaches us this that we, the church, are called to stand out in this world, right? That we are to live different lives in this world. And here's why this is so important, right? The world system, and all of us have tested it and tried it, the world system is fundamentally broken, right? It, it does not lead to life. It does not lead to wholeness. It does not lead to what the world system is fundamentally broken. And here's the thing, like, if we served a God, like, if, if, if all things were true, um, like, God, like, came and lived through Jesus Christ, died on the cross, did this marvelous thing, rose from the dead, like, that would be nothing but a neat trick and a good miracle if God left us in this broken system, right? If God was like, look at what I did, now put your hope and trust in me, but stay where you are, like, don't live differently, like, if that God did that, like, that would be a fundamentally flawed system. It would be a faith in a God that's not worth putting our hope and trust in, and so God, though, the God of creation, came, lived, and died so that he could show us the way. And he says this, you've got to live a fundamentally different life. And that's going to require that you stand out in the world. And, and um, the reason why I love the scriptures, and I love sharing from the scriptures with you, and for us looking at Jesus, using them as a lens through which we see Jesus, the reason I love this so much is it gives us something to hold on to to reach out that was right within our grasp that we can hold on to and avoid being swept up in the current of culture. You see, the Bible teaches us, and as we've been going through this relationship series, that if we live out God's design for our relationships, 
right, that we're going to stand out in the world, right? We're going to look different than those around us. We're going to make decisions differently. In the first week of this series, we saw that we are created for relationships. That means we value relationships, period, right? Not just relationships with the people we like, which that's easy to do, right? Not just relationships with the people that, that we have this kind of mutual exchange with. I, I do some good things for you, or I like hanging out with you, you like hanging out with me. That, but the Bible teaches us that we are created for relationships and that we as followers of Jesus Christ value relationships, period. They're not disposable. We don't just jump in and out of them when they don't suit our needs anymore, um, but rather we're created for relationships. We, we raise the value of those relationships. Second thing we saw in this series is that we are created to be like Jesus. Remember that, right? We're created to be like Jesus, and therefore our relationships become tools that God uses to bring about his will in our lives. So there's some relationships, and you're like, man, this person's testing my patience. God is like, yeah, that's the point, because I want to build up patience in you, right? Or, or this person's difficult to love or hard for me to show grace to, and God's going, yeah, that's the point. Right? Because I want to make you a more gracious person, a more loving person. If we're constantly jumping from situation to situation and avoiding the hardships, the maturity that God wants to bring in us will never happen. The third thing we saw in this series last week, we saw that we're created for mission. And that's that in our relationships, we serve God's mission, God's purpose in our relationships. And so you may be going, I don't... <laughs> Maybe this is somebody that you have to work with, right? I'm just going to use that as an example. That's kind of a general example. Maybe this is somebody you have to work with, and you're going, I don't like this person. <clears throat> I don't really want to work with them. Um, and, and maybe in your quiet moments, the ones you might not ever admit to anybody, you might be thinking, man, I wish they would just quit or, or, or something else, lose their job or something. Maybe you're thinking that, and you're like, I'm not going to say it, but I just need this person to go away. Maybe, maybe their brokenness is so evident to you because God has a purpose for you in their life, right? We're created for God's mission, right? And so when we're overwhelmed with the brokenness of our world, the brokenness of other people's lives, the brokenness of their situation, there's sometimes that God has you in that situation because he wants to do things through you because you were created for God's mission. And what we see ultimately, though, is we're going to live out, if we're going to live out God's design for our relationships, if we're going to live out God's design for our relationships, we have to have the mindset of Jesus Christ. we got to think differently. We can't just say, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to love her. I'm just going to love him. I'm just going to do we got to have the mindset of Jesus Christ. And what we see in Philippians chapter 2, and this is the scripture where we're going to kind of land as our base this morning. Philippians chapter 2, we see that Paul... Um, the Apostle Paul, uh, minister to the church, early church, is writing this letter to the Philippians, and he's teaching them to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. If you look in Philippians chapter 2, this is a popular verse, one of my favorites. Um, I have a lot, a lot of favorites, so that doesn't really mean a lot. Um, but it's one of my favorites. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 5. Listen to what it says. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, right? Have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Now, this word that's used here for mindset, we're going to read a little bit further. We'll get at least to verse 11, hopefully. Uh, but we're in verse, verse, verse 5, though, when it says have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, this word that's used here, at least in the Greek, the word uh, means kind of this, um, it's both this cognitive response or cognitive process, but also this visceral response, right? So it's almost like this, uh, kind of like a well-thought-out, at least, response, but also, it, it, it's a complex word because it can, 
it, it kind of means like this kind of gut feeling, this thing that's driven deep down into your heart, deep down within. So it's this visceral or gut response that comes out of somewhere deep down within. In fact, this, this word is used all throughout the New Testament. One of the first times it's used is in Matthew chapter 16. Um, and you might be familiar with this scripture. In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus is kind of rolling out his plan to his disciples about what he's going to do, and he's talking about the suffering that he's going to go through and the fact that ultimately he's going to make it to the cross, uh, and the disciples don't want to hear this because the plans they had for Jesus were different than the cross, different than suffering, different than death. They had plans where they hoped that Jesus would come and set up his kingdom and that ultimately Israel will be a force to be reckoned with in their society. And now Jesus is rolling out a different plan, talking about death. Um, look, look at what happens there. In um, Matthew chapter, chapter 22, um, chapter 16. <clears throat> I was in the right one. Uh, chapter 16. Somebody whisper. Somebody said 16. 16. I like it when you whisper to me. Uh, Matthew chapter... <laughs> wait, whoa, whoa. That got weird. That got weird real quick. Weird real quick. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Ooh. All right, so Jesus is rolling out his plan for the disciples, uh, for, for his life. And, and listen, they begin to rebuke Jesus, right? Peter rebukes Jesus. And look at what Jesus says in verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, right? You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So deep down in your mind, right? Because here's what happened with the Jews, right? They had thought about logically, like from the scriptures, what they hoped that God would do. And, and they used the scriptures even to drive deep down in their hearts that one day God was going to send a savior that was going to rescue them. And ultimately Israel was going to be something again. And so they had that in mind. It was both this cognitive process that was based in the scriptures, but it was also also this visceral response that was coming from that being driven deep down within them. And so Peter says to Jesus, right, this is Jesus, right, the one who he's seen do all these miracles, seen do all these amazing things that he's come to believe is God is in the flesh. He says to Jesus, he rebukes him and says, that's not going to happen, brother. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, you don't have in mind, right, your visceral response, this deep gut response came out of you just now in that moment. And, uh, and it's almost like Jesus is saying, check yourself, right? I, I'm still Jesus. You might not like what I'm doing, but I'm still Jesus. And that's the way our mind works, right? Um, it's these deep down kind of gut responses that we have. And that's what this word that we see in Philippians 2 where it says, have the same mind as Jesus Christ. That's really what's going on here. It's saying, um, man, it's saying kind of practically speaking, I think if we think this out, is that um, we have the teachings of Scripture, we have the gospel, that, that prior to our walk with Jesus is not how we think, right? The, the Bible doesn't shape our thoughts prior to our walk with Jesus. But then we, we begin to walk with Jesus. We begin to, to know him through the Scriptures and put our hope and faith and belief in him. And then the more we, like, the more we come to church and we, we sit and we listen to the scriptures being taught, and the more we spend time during the week reading the scriptures and reading the Bible and studying them and coming to these, uh, this understanding, 
that that's driving some theology, some beliefs about God deep within us, so much so that they become a gut response, right? So much so that when God's will is revealed to us for my life, right, particularly in the light of the series and relationships, we're not going, hey, God, not me, right? Because sometimes we count ourselves out of God's will, right? Sometimes we don't do the marvelous Uh, the miraculous even things that God wants to do in our relationships and at our workplaces because we've counted ourselves out because we're going, God, never me, right? Um, But when we get God's word driven down in us, right, and we begin to understand how God works and we begin to have this mindset of Jesus Christ, then that begins to transform the way we think and the things we do. It transforms our mind, this gut response that we have. So that we go, um, maybe you find yourself in, in, in a similar situation as, as I do sometimes. I'm going, man, I never would have thought like, when I first started walking with Jesus. I never would have thought I would have been doing this. Um, but, but here I am, and I'm thankful for the Lord's leadership as he leads me into this. Right? Because there's some things we just don't get. But the Bible is showing us that we have to get this mindset of Christ, which opens us up to the things of God. Now, what we see in Philippians chapter 2, if we roll back to that verse, in Philippians chapter 2, what we see is that this mindset can be summed up as, um, I must let go of myself, right? I let go of myself in order to glorify God. I must let go of myself, like what I'm, it's, I mean, Jesus puts it this way. He, he says, deny yourself, right? So there's certain uh, desires, there's certain even um, there's even some hopes and dreams that aren't shaped by God's will for us. Um, there are um, even some activities and practices and uh, things that we do that, that become a part of us. And the, and the Bible is saying, hey, you got to let go of that stuff in order to glorify God. Look at what, what Jesus says in the rest of this, or what Paul writes about Jesus in the rest of this chapter. Uh, verse, verse 5, I'll pick back up there. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What we see in this passage is that Jesus, and and there's a lot of stuff that's taught here, and we really can't get caught up too much in all of it, um, because we could spend a whole series just in this passage, but that Jesus was, in fact, God, and he existed before he was born as a man. Like, he existed fully uh, as as a—we talked about this in the first week of this, second week of this series, first week of the series—the Trinity, right? Uh, That that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always existed, right? They existed from eternity. They have always existed. So Jesus existed from eternity, enjoying the joys and pleasures of heaven, the rights and responsibilities of heaven, the power and majesty of heaven. And the Bible says here that he made him— himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, that he gave that stuff up, right? It says, uh, literally, this word is he emptied himself. You might hear it used as kenosis. This is a theological term that talks about this practice that Jesus did of emptying himself. Now, some say, well, what did he empty himself of? Like, was he no longer God? So some have looked at this passage and said, well, he's no longer God. But other scriptures teach us that he was still fully God, even in the flesh, that he was fully God, he was fully man. But what that means is this, that he had all these 
abilities as God, um, the ability to do the miraculous. He had um, the ability to act independently uh, and to, to, to kind of do what God sees fit to do. Um, he had the freedom to do that. But when he became human, he voluntarily chose to submit himself to God the Father. And so that's why you're going, wait, with Jesus, if Jesus is God, why is he praying to God? Like, that, that's where it kind of gets a little confusing when we begin to think about the Trinity. But what Jesus did is God in the flesh is he voluntarily chose to submit himself to God so that he could show us how we live. And so Jesus, we see, spending hours in prayer talking to God. Jesus, we see, uh, publicly communicating with God the Father. We see Jesus asking God to work powerfully in his life and through his life. We see him even going to the point of death and making it where he was deeply dependent on God to raise him up from the dead. So what we see in Jesus is this mindset that says, I must let go of myself. Like, I got to let go of some stuff. I got to humble myself in order that I might glorify God. Because it's only from this humble place that God's power can be manifested through us. I was thinking just this morning, uh, just kind of my journey into ministry and and as a student. So like when I was in high school, I was really good at math and science when I was in school. And uh, that may come off as a little prideful, um, but, but, but I was. I was good. I was like in honors math classes, and I, in my, I used to get in trouble in my math classes um, because I wouldn't pay attention. Like, I wouldn't take notes. I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't do anything. Like, I would just draw throughout the whole class um, because I, I just kind of had this natural gift uh, for, for math. It just kind of came natural to me, and so even in honors classes, I didn't even pay attention. I just kind of, it just, it just, I don't know, it just flowed, and I, and I used to get in trouble with this, too. I got a lot of trouble in math, it's crazy. It's my favorite subject, and I used to get in trouble. I used to get in trouble because I never showed my work because I just kind of figure out stuff in my head. Uh, I was just like, I can do that. And I'm like, hey, I'm getting A's. Like, I'm doing it right. Um, and, and there's this sense of pride that creeps up. Like, you, and not just pride as in, like, like, I wasn't walking around like I'm a math nerd with a shirt on or anything like that. Although... That wouldn't have been a bad idea. Uh, but I wasn't walking around like a shirt that says I'm a math. I wasn't prideful about math in that sense, but I was tr- prideful in the sense that I learned to depend and rely on my own ability, my own gifting and skill. And then when God called me to be a pastor, I'm going, wait, no more. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back up, back up. Like the only math, like God doesn't know how to do math really, right? He, does, he knows how to do miracles, not math, because he does the two, bur- two, two fish and the five loaves of bread. He feeds 5,000. Like that's not math. Like God does, well, he works in the, in the realm of uh, miracles, not, not, not in the realm of math. And so he calls me to be a minister. I'm like, hey, you got the wrong one. Like I was supposed to be in like some lab or something, adding some numbers up. And God's like, nah, nah. And, but here's what that did, right? Uh, because it threw me into an environment that was totally different than one that I was used to used to or comfortable in because now I had to read. <laughs> I didn't like to read. Uh, and now I had to like, um, I had to learn history. And I really, that's just not really my thing. And I had to learn something different. And, and it had this effect of like, it had this effect of like humbling myself. Like, I, so I, I, oh man, I, I spent, I went to Southern Polytech my first year of college and I took like, and then, then I transferred to Atlanta Christian College, which became Point University. And like at Southern Polytech in one year, I took all the math classes that I would ever have to take, right? So I get to Atlanta Christian College and I was like, hey, can I sign up for some math? They're like, nah, you don't need math. You've already done it all. Um, and, and so here I find myself in these Bible classes where like I'm, I'm, I'm humbled um, because I'm doing something that I'm not naturally 
gifted in. Like, I, I didn't necessarily choose to give that up. It was taken from me. But what we see with Jesus, though, is that it was, he, he chose to give up his rights and his advantages. He chose to give up the things that he rightly deserved in order that he could serve others. Right? He made that choice. He humbled himself. And notice what that verse says if you go back to verse 5 in Philippians chapter 2. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. This mindset of humbling ourselves and not being um, forced into uh, humiliation, but humbling ourselves uh, willingly in our relationships with one another. Here's what this means for us. I think practically speaking, I'm going to try to land this. Here's just what this, what this means for us. This means that I must in one hand hold on to um, faith. Like I, I must hold faith firmly in, in one hand, and, and I got to place the outcome or the results in God's hand. Right? I hold firmly with, I'm not letting go of my faith. I'm not letting go of faithfulness. I'm going to obey God to my death to the very end. I'm going to, no, even if it doesn't look like it's working out the way I hoped it would work out, if, even if it looks like I'm not getting any rewards for my faithfulness, even if it looks like people are just taking my kindness for weakness, even if it looks like this isn't the logical and right path for me to take, I'm going to hold faith firmly. I'm going to hold it close to me. I'm going to obey God at all costs. I'm going to place the results and the outcome in God's hand. That's exactly what Jesus did. When the Bible says he humbled himself all the way to the grave. Listen, once you get to the grave, there's no more action, right? There's no more working. Your outcome, the result is fully placed in God's hand. And so look, if you look a little bit further, let me um, um, pick up in verse 8. It says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Then it says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus says, that's my example for you, that you humble yourself to the point that no matter what, you're holding faith firmly, and you're placing the results and the outcome in my hands. You're trusting me to do what only I can do. This is so counterintuitive because we want, you know, the Bible says love, like I want to love my neighbor because that's going to soften my neighbor's heart, right? And I want to show grace because ultimately I want her to recognize how graceful I've been, right? And to be thankful towards me. Or, or I want to forgive ultimately because by releasing and letting go, I want him or I want her to reach back out to me in kindness and forgiveness, right? We want our faithfulness to have certain results. But the Bible is saying, humble yourself to the point that you can live faithfully, hold that firmly in your hand, and trust God with the outcome or results. That's what happens when we truly humble ourselves. Now we see, and the reason we didn't jump straight to love is because it's this mindset, the mindset of Christ, that frees us up to be able to love. 
It's the mindset of Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us to love. To love like Jesus loved. Like we can love with all the emotions. We can love in the temporary sense of I love you when you're being nice to me and making me feel good about myself and all that. Like we can love in that way. But we can't love in the way Jesus loved unless we're fully humbled and placing the outcome in God's hand. In fact, if you look at Matthew, Jesus lists love as the single greatest command that we could ever follow. In Matthew chapter 22, this expert in the law comes up to Jesus and he's questioning him about um, what's the greatest law um, uh, in, in the whole, whole Bible or the Old Testament at that time. Listen to what Jesus says. He, he says... Um, He says in verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. So love God first. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what does God desire of you? He desires that you love. And in John chapter 15, and I just want to hit this verse too. John chapter 15, he requires not just that we love, like I was saying a minute ago, not just love with these mushy, gushy feelings, um, but to love the way that God loved us. In John chapter 15, give me a second to get there. John chapter 15, listen to, the, listen to what Jesus says. He's teaching his disciples, um, and he's teaching them about love. And, and I'm going to pick up in verse 9, I believe. Yeah, there we go. I'm rolling. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, Jesus says. And the disciples are going, like, I, I kind of imagine this. If, you, if your Bible's like mine and, and you got the red letter Bible where the words of Jesus are in red, like this whole page is like red. This whole section, like there's multiple pages here in red. And Jesus is kind of sitting down before he goes to the cross and he's talking to his disciples. So this is like after him, he spent like three years with them and they've felt the depth of his love. And Jesus says to them, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And everybody's going, amen. Like, yeah. Like, we've, we've felt that. We know that. And he says, now remain in my love. And they're going, yeah, well, you better believe it, right? This is the greatest thing we've ever experienced. Um, so he says, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now at this point, the disciples are tracking with him. They're like, all right, you're talking about your love. You're talking about us being able to remain in your love. You're talking about us having this joy that's like full and complete. And then he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, I imagine things come to a halt right there. Because it's like once we're on the receiving end of love, it's like I could do this all day. But when we're having to show love, and Jesus has just rolled out to them his plan of going to the cross for them, like dying for them. So this whole time he's going, yeah, I can receive this love, I can receive this love, I can receive this love. And then he goes, show this love. <laughs> and disciples are like, wait, wait, wait. You just kind of upped it just a notch, a little bit beyond what we can reach. And what the scriptures are teaching us in Philippians is that it's impossible for you to reach that. Right? You must transform the way you think. You must humble yourself so that you can live faithfully and place the results in God's hand, the outcome in God's hand, because you'll never be able to reach that. You'll never be able to reach up to that with your current way of thinking. 
And the Bible is challenging us to constantly practice humility, to constantly make ourselves low so that God can raise us up, so that we can trust him to do that. You see, what we see is that if we're going to love other people, that it requires a bold faith that will lead us into vulnerable spaces. Right? If we're going to love one another, if we're going to obey the greatest commandment that, that God ever, could ever give us, that he gave us in Matthew chapter 22, it requires this bold faith, this faith that's going to say, <laughs> oh man, I can't say what I was just getting ready to say. She or he may not be a nice person, right? <laughs> Let's just say nice person. They may not be a nice person, but I'm going to love him anyway. Right? I'm going to act in love. Any, she might not even know the sacrifice that it's taking from me to stay in this relationship and act in this way. He may dismiss my acts of love and disrespect me by not valuing what I'm doing in this moment for him, for her. But I'm going to do it because of this bold faith that rises up within me, that is leading me into this vulnerable space. You know, there's that passage in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, and we don't, we don't really have to read the whole thing, um, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want you to see it. I think we have a slide for it. Uh, it, it talks about love, and this, it starts off this way. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not, does not dishonor. Y'all, y'all are familiar with this probably. Like, if you've been to a wedding, like, you've heard this read. This is like the, the classic wedding passage of Scripture. Like, you hear it read at all kinds of weddings, and, and here's, here's, here's why, right? It, it, I've even heard this read like at non-Christian weddings. Like this is just, this is just like a passage of scripture because it's, it's um, like this passage, let me just put it this way. This passage fits, it fits when you got two people entering into an agreement. Like it, this, this passage fits like once he's put a ring on it, like you don't have to, you don't have to have, a, you don't have a hard time saying, well, I'm going to try to be patient. Right? I'm going to try to be kind. I'm going to try to let go of all wrongs. Like once, a, like once y'all have gotten to know each other, you've expressed love. Like there's this kind of almost a contractual agreement that happens when you get married. I'm agreeing. I do. I do. All that kind of do's going on there at the altar. Like this kind of love fits, right? Because there's some conditions that have been set in place, right? He said his vows. He promised this before the Lord. She said her vows. She promised this before the Lord. I can like now I can agree, agree to this. But this verse has absolutely nothing to do with marriage. This is just talking about love. Whether there's a contract, whether there's an agreement, whether there's any conditions that have been met or not, right? This verse is really just teaching us what love looks like. This verse is teaching us what it looks like to love that coworker that's annoying. This verse is teaching us what it looks like to love your husband when he won't act right. This verse is teaching us how to love your child when they, like, you know, what children do. They do all kinds of stuff from this high to this high. Uh, this verse is teaching us how to love that neighbor, right, who's, like, passive-aggressive and just continues to get on your nerves. Right? This verse is just teaching us how to love. And if we're going to do that, like, outside of a marriage relationship, outside of some I do's, some agreements, some signatures on a paper, all that kind of stuff, like, if we're going to do it in the other context of relationships, it's going to require that we humble ourselves and make ourselves low. 
You know, it's something that's easy to miss in this Philippians 2 passage. Um, and it's par- partly because of the Bible, what they've done to my Bible, <laughs> what they've done to the Bible. You know, I've talked about this before. The Bible originally didn't have verse numbers and chapter numbers. It didn't have these like bold headings. I don't know if yours has bold headings. Mine has some bold headings that divide sections up. It didn't originally have that. It just kind of read, right? You know, it didn't even have punctuation. So it just kind of read, and so you kind of flowed with the words, and you didn't read sections at a time. And so, but, but now because of these headings, sometimes we tend to read like sections at a time, and we don't flow to the next section. We, uh, like you might be having your devotional time with the Lord, and you might read Philippians 2, that first section up into verse 11, and you may be like, all right, I'm good, and you might close your Bible because you got to the next section, right? Because the Bible has now sectioned that off. And we miss what comes next. Um, but it's important for us to see what comes next. So I want us to see it, and then I want us to talk about it. So in verse 12, listen to what it says. This is after it talks about humbling, Jesus humbling himself and God raising him up. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We can't miss that. Because otherwise, I'm going, man, that preacher just told me to do what's impossible. He just told me that I'm supposed to love, man, he, done, he has lost. There is some exceptions to that rule. <laughs> but this verse says, hey, look, that preacher... <laughs> He's not calling you to muster up your own strength and tomorrow, you know, that smiley face and go into work, or, you know, wave at that neighbor, or whatever. Like, that preacher's not calling you to like, God, I gotta do this. But he's telling you that God will work in you to do this through you. And that's what we miss if we don't continue reading, right? Look at what it said in verse 11. For it is God who works in you to will, that is to want to do the will of God. Because you might be going, hey, I need some help even wanting to do this, right? It's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. (laughs) I think this is what this passage wants us to do. I think it wants us to feel the weight of how difficult this is. I think God wants us to get to a place where we're going, this is just ridiculous. (laughs) This is impossible. There is no way that I'm loving that way, right? She didn't do anything that deserved me to die for her. He didn't do anything that deserved me to love unconditionally in the way Jesus, like, I think the Bible wants us to feel the weight of that upon our shoulders, and to recognize how impossible it is, then I think it wants us, God wants us to know the joy of having his power being made perfect in our weakness. The joy of doing things that we came to the conclusion were impossible for me something that I just would never do in my wildest dreams, something that I had said, God, I just can't. God wants us to know the joy of having his power being made 
perfect and complete in our weakness. He wants us to know the joy of going back to him in prayer and begging and saying, God, make your power perfect in me. You know, the more we have difficult relationships, and God knows in this broken world we'll have some, the more we should be praying to God. Because prayer isn't about allowing or letting God into our private lives. He's already there. Like, he already knows our requests. Prayer is about us learning to depend and lean and trust in God. And it's only as we do that, like we lean and depend and trust in God, that his power is made perfect in our weakness. You know, every, every Sunday morning we share in a time of communion where we, um, we break bread with one another. And that's what these four tables around the room are for. And when we break bread with each other, there's a reminder for us. And that reminder is that Jesus died for you. Like, before you were ever born, Jesus died for you. He did this extraordinary, gracious thing for you. He showed you the full weight of his grace, love, and acceptance. He knew full well how hard the scriptures would be and how short you would fall. And so you may be feeling the weight of this and be going, I still don't know that I can live up to that. I'm going to fall short. Jesus knows that. And he died for that. For every time that we would fall short, Jesus died. For everything that we ultimately would feel the weight of it being impossible and we would not be able to live into the scriptures, he died. There's grace for that. And the grace frees us from the fear of God punishing us, rejecting us, pushing us away because of our inadequacy. The grace makes it possible for God to say, I know you're inadequate, but come on. I love you. I know you can't and you'll fall short sometimes, but come on. I love you. And we together can work into this thing. We together can work out your salvation. He's not saying, hey, get here tomorrow. But he's saying, together, we're going to get here. We're going to live this out. And so as we come to these tables, as we break bread, as we share in communion, feel God's embrace pulling you close and his love, which is for you and will never reject you. And feel him saying, come on, we'll do this together. Let's pray. God, we do give you thanks this morning that we get to have this chance to read your, your word, the Holy Scriptures which challenge us to do what's impossible for us. And God, I'm standing here and I'm feeling the weight of it myself. And God, I thank you for that weight because I know that that weight's going to reveal your might and your power in us, your church. 
God, as you've been faithful in the past, I trust that you'll be faithful tomorrow and in the days ahead. And so, God, I'm thankful for the weight because I know that you'll lift it and help me to carry it. God, we thank you that you died on the cross to prove that to us and that we're not trusting a God that we just want to do something. We're trusting a God that's already done it. And so, God, as we come to these tables, we're remembering the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. Now, God, overwhelm us with your grace. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.